Amen. Loving Father, we thank you that you have fed us in this sacrament. You have united us with Christ and have given us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet in your eternal realm. Lord, send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now I'll begin my pastoral prayer. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we have already confessed our sins to you. We have already admitted that we have deserted the front lines of our spiritual war in prayer. And Lord, we thank you that you have blotted out our sins and removed our iniquities far from us as far as as the east is from the west and Lord you have nailed the record of condemnation against us to the cross of our Savior Lord give us that internal witness from the spirit that these things are true because Lord we have to frankly ask where will we be without you for surely there are some in here today and some who are listening online who are full of doubt others who are full of guilt some who are wondering why they are not making greater progress in their faith Lord we admit that this world is a broken place none of us are what we hope to be all of us fall short of your glory Lord we confess that the world's greatest problem is not out there but in here in our hearts the world's greatest problem is not the lack of material wealth. It is not the lack of a home or the lack of a job or the lack of a supportive family. It is not the lack of getting enough hugs from our parents when we were growing up. It is not the lack of government intervention or government help. Lord, the world's greatest problem lies within our hearts in our sin nature the world's greatest problem Lord lies in the fact that there is none who does good no not one scripture testifies against us that all have gone astray Lord all have turned away from you that no one seeks God but rather Father we seek ourselves we seek our own glory we seek the worship of ourselves. We seek for others to worship us and adore us and magnify us. So Lord, the greatest problem is not out there. It is within our sinful hearts. For which, Lord, you do provide a remedy for our sin sickness. And Lord, we long for the day that you will make all things right. When perfect justice is given out, when every broken thing is fixed, when the entire creation functions the way it was made to function, the way in which you designed it. Lord, may that day come quickly. Until then, Father, send grace. Lord, your free grace. Undeserved help and intervention and strength and protection. Lord, our reach is too short. Our arms are not long enough. Lord, our strength is too small. 
our intelligence is too low. Lord, we need God. We need you. We are frail. We will die one day and be brought to nothing. Lord, as we read earlier in our assurance of forgiveness, you remember our frame, Lord. You remember that we are dust. Lord, our, our lives are so quick in the scope of eternity. Our strength is so small. Our reach is so short. Our intelligence, our wisdom is too low for you, Father. We need you. We need God. Lord, our country needs you. Every one of the 350 or so million souls that live in this land needs Jesus. But Lord, we praise you that your great name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Lord, we thank you for your great name, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Lord, how then will they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And Lord, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Lord, open our mouths at work, at home, among friends, at the park, in the public square. Lord, open our mouths to tell hellbound sinners the good news of a risen Savior. And Lord, reap a harvest of souls here in America. From the president down to the newest legal immigrant. Lord, call your children to yourself and establish your church as one united loving body in this land. Lord, we pray for our children that belong to our church and to our families, our children and our grandchildren, Lord. May every one of them come to know Jesus, not just know about him. Lord, raise up a mighty spiritual army of men and women out of the boys and girls of our church and our families. Protect every one of them, Lord, from wandering away, wasting their lives, or living in open rebellion. Lord, use the teaching that they've heard at this church to save some, to warn others, and to produce spiritual fruit in all. And Lord, I lift up to you this morning, Brother Harvey and Sister Delois. Lord, we lift them up to you in prayer. They're both recovering from health setbacks. Lord, we pray that your spirit be with them and encourage them. Encourage them in the Holy Spirit, Lord. Encourage them with your love and care for them. Encourage them, Lord, with the truth that Christ knows their sufferings. That Christ not only knows their sufferings, Father, but he is with them in their sufferings as their suffering high priest, as their suffering Savior. That you may give them that strength, Father, to recover from their sicknesses, to recover from the rehabilitation that is taking place. Lord, we pray that you work mightily in them. 
And Lord, we pray for others in our congregation who are suffering silently. They're suffering in ways that we don't know. Lord, that you be with them also. That they know that their Savior suffered on their behalf. For Christ suffered as a righteous man. We as unrighteous people. Christ suffered as a righteous man and did not sin. Yet, Lord, we are sinners. But despite us being sinners, Christ still serves us. Christ still intercedes for all of his children who are suffering. So, Lord, be with our people who are suffering this morning. And, Father, we thank you for so great and precious of a Savior who intercedes for us, who doesn't leave us to our own devices. And, Father, I pray also for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that is gathered today. We pray, Lord, for the ministry of the word from dear brothers, dear friends of mine here and also overseas who are shepherding the flock this morning. Brother Steve Mays at Hope Presbyterian, Brothers Gobbler Jay and Josephus over in Liberia, Brother Sylvester over in Zimbabwe who I had communication with this past week. Be with all those brothers, Lord. Over in Zimbabwe, Christians are being persecuted and marginalized. Be with them, Father. Brother Josh Henderson at Southside Baptist in Talladega and Anthony Cook at Christian Fellowship, Bob St. John at Anderson Bible, Phil Moser at Redeemer, Brother Carlton at Grace Fellowship, Brother Justin Holland at Mountain View, Brother Cody Hale at Iron City Baptist, and Brother James Patterson at New Harvest, and Brother Mark Young. Lord, we pray for all these brothers that they, as Paul exhorted Timothy this morning, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season to rebuke, to correct, and to exhort. For the time will come, as Paul said, where men will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap upon themselves teachers. So, Father, be with them this morning. Be with all of our churches. Be here with me, Lord, as I labor to preach the word. And now, God, as we move from proclaiming your word to listening to your word, Lord, I ask you to unplug our ears, tenderize our hearts, and open our eyes. We want to be changed from being with you. We want to be made more like you because you, Lord, in every aspect of your person are everything we want to be like. Full of love, full of purity, full of holiness, grace, faithfulness, zeal, servanthood, promise keeping, joy, goodness, and everything that is commendable and good. Lord, make us imitators of God as dear children. And Lord, let us walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Father, do all of this this morning as your word is preached, as it is read, and as we meditate on it. Do all this, Lord, that the fame of Jesus Christ would spread across this globe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord for the privilege of prayer. Let us turn to Colossians. We're turning to the third 
chapter. And we're going to spend three weeks in these uh, first 11 uh, verses. And this morning we're going to look at, we're going to focus primarily on the first, uh, I think first three verses in our text. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 to get the full context. I think the balance of our time is going to be spent in the first uh, four verses, rather. And this is the practical side of Paul's letter. Excuse me, most of Paul's letters, he spends the first uh, half of it laying out theology, laying out the identity in Christ that uh, the believers have, who they are in Christ. And then the second half of his of those letters, he points to how Christians ought to live in light of those things. So this chapter three is basically a turning point, and we will uh, explain that further as we get into this text. So let's read our passage together. Let's read the word of God. It's Colossians three, verses one through eleven. And this is the word of the Lord. Paul says, if then you were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger wrath malice blasphemy filthy language out of your mouth do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. For there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. May the Lord bless his word. I want to begin by asking a question. What does it mean to be carnal? I, I remember back in the 90s and early 2000s, there was a word, a uh, phrase floating around. It was popular in Christian circles about a person being a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian. When you think about what it means to be carnal, a carnal Christian, uh, Kenneth Gentry, he's a reformed theologian. He said that the carnal Christian doctrine 
teaches that it is both uh, theoretically or hypothetically possible and experientially common for a person to be born be a born again Christian and never give long term evidence of that fact in one's life I put that as the English for you he says that carnal Christian doctrine teaches that it is it is in theory it's, it's in theory it is possible and by experience it is possible it is common for a person to be born again and never give any long term evidence of that fact in their life that is the definition of carnal Christianity the word of God leaves no room for indifference towards godliness and it will contend with itself to present a teaching that asserts that any child of God may be a born again Christian and never give long term evidence of it a person who professes Profession means you say it with your mouth. A person who professes to be a Christian, who professes to be born again, cannot live in contradiction to that and be a Christian. Because when you're born again, you take on a new nature. You take on new desires. You have a new hope. And you live as if all those things are true. A born-again Christian will have long-term evidence of that fact in their life. That doesn't mean that a born-again Christian won't have seasons of, of struggle, won't have seasons of doubt, because that can happen even to the best of us. But the overall overarching evidence will show that they are born again, that they are in Christ. And I'm sure many of us know people on our jobs, in our schools, in our families who claim the name of Christ, who profess Christ, but live nothing like it, showing no fruit bearing repentance in their lives. And they say things such as, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Or I can worship God in my house with my Bible open or they claim to be Christian but they still participate in unrepentant habitual sin but they claim the name of Christ there's no such thing as a carnal Christian either a person is born again or they are not they are a false convert and there are false converts there are people who are self-deceived but our message this morning is talking about Christ's likeness and we're going to look at how that looks so you have two terms as is customary of all Paul's letters especially Galatians Ephesians Philippians and Colossians Paul goes from orthodoxy, which means right doctrine. You know, you think about the word orthopedic. The word, the Greek root word ortho means to, 
to set straight or to correct. Okay? Uh, you think about an orthopedic doctor, they set the bones straight. That's what, that's what that practice means. Okay? Orthodontist, that means that they set your what? Your teeth straight. So the root word, the Greek word for ortho means to set straight or to correct or to make right or to, or to fix. So you think about orthodoxy. Doxy means doctrine. So orthodoxy means right doctrine. Okay? So Paul goes from orthodoxy in, in the first two chapters here, in the first half, to what we call orthopraxy. Praxis, praxis P-R-A-X-Y, is where the word, we get the word practice from. That's the Greek, the root word for pra practice is praxy, P-R-A-X, prax. So right practice, right living in light of right doctrine. So, so, so Paul in these next few chapters, as we're going to look at chapters 3 through 5, we're going to see how do we live out the truth that Paul laid down as it is written in the first two chapters in this Bible. So in chapter 3, Paul transitions from establishing them as faithful brethren in Christ from the first verse and second, first chapter, second verse. He emphasized the supremacy of Christ that we looked at. He emphasized our reconciliation in Christ. He emphasized our completeness in Christ and other doctrinal truths that we are to live in light of them. So that's why this first verse says, if then, which means basically therefore. So Colossians 3, 1 through 4 begins with a new paragraph of exhortation based on uh, what we read in chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, which I preached on last week. And it's signaled by the use of the word if or therefore. Being raised with Christ, the believer seeks the things above and sets his mind on things above because he died to his old nature. And his life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's what we see in the first four verses. And in verses 5 through 11, because we are raised with Christ, because we've died to Christ, and because our life is hidden with Christ in God, we are to put sin to death and put on the new man, which is renewed in the image of Christ, who is our all in all. And this is not a call to behavior modification. But it is a call to Christian living, empowered by our union with Christ. Now, also in this passage, we see something that I try to make sure that I talk about is the law gospel distinction. Uh, the great reformer Martin Luther talked about this, the, the, the law gospel distinction. In essence, says the law tells us what we are to do. And the gospel tells us what we are or who we are. Law says do this and live. Gospel says believe in Jesus Christ and his finished work and you shall be saved. The law is the Old Testament and New Testament commands which ought to be obeyed. The gospel is the announcement of the good news. How one can be redeemed from sin and misery commands are not the gospel a person 
can obey all the commands of God but still not be saved. A lot of churches preach law. They tell people what you ought to do. Do this. Do this. Don't do that. Stay away from this. It's all law, 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 law. And those people leave church condemned as I did for a long time. Because all you heard was law. All you heard was law. All you heard was do this and live. And heard very little gospel. So. Where do we find law and gospel in this passage? We found the gospel in verse one. We're raised with Christ. That's the gospel. That's the reality for every believer. We die with Christ and our life is hidden with Christ and God. Verse three. That's the gospel. At Christ's second coming, we will appear like him. That's the gospel. Verse four. Those are gospel truths. That we died with Christ, that we raised with Christ. Our life is hidden with Christ and we will appear with him in his second coming. That is the gospel. Now, what is the law? Verse one. Seek those things above. When you think about the law, think about action verbs. What the word is telling you to do. So in verse one, seek those things that are above. That's law. Set your mind above. That's law. Verse two. Put to death. Verse five. Put off. Verse eight. Put on. Verse 10. Those are all law. But you have to have that balance. You can't have all law and no gospel. You can't have all gospel and no law. You have to strike that balance. And this passage does that. It tells us law, what we ought to do. But it also tells us who we are. That we're raised with Christ, that we die with Christ, and that our life is hidden with Christ, and that we will appear with him. That's the gospel. And then we have law. The law is what we do in light of Christ's work. It's not what we do to prove our salvation. Because, because Christ saved us, we do. We don't do in order for Christ to save us. We do because Christ saved us. A lot of churches preach it backwards. And people are struggling and they're, they're not sure of their salvation because they, they keep doing and they keep doing and they, they, they're ex being exhorted to do, to do, to do and not rest in who they are in Christ and then do from there. They're always told that they're falling short. They're always told that they're not doing enough. They're not believing enough. They're not praying enough. But they're never told who they are in Christ. And that who you are in Christ propels how you live. And that's the crux of our message this morning about uh, an ex exhortation to Christ's likeness. So just as a structure here, the passage is structured this way. First, it gives a command, which is the law. Which is to seek those things above. And then it explains why the gospel. And what's the first reason why? Because of what is true of your past. What's true of your past? That you have been what? Raised. That you died. 
That's gospel. That's what we have to know as believers. Our past is that we were raised in Christ. We have been raised. And that we died. Why else do we see those things above? Because number two of what is true of our present. You think about past, present, and future tense verbs. Have been is past tense. Is is a present tense verb. Your life is hidden with Christ. Right now at this moment, your life is hidden with Christ. That means that Christ is yours and you are his. When you go to work in the morning, you're hidden in, you're, you're hidden in Christ. When your job gets hard or when raising your child is hard or when you're dealing with hard things and hard times and hard days, just remember, saints, that you are hidden in Christ, that you are his and he is yours. And no circumstances in this life will make that not true. In your deepest, darkest, most hurtful days and hurtful times you're still hidden with Christ and God it doesn't change that reality that's your present reality and the third reason why we seek those things above is because of what will be true of our future excuse me what is true of our future we will appear that's present that's future tense we will appear with him. You notice the scripture doesn't say we might, or it is a distinct possibility that we will, or chances are we will. No, he says what? You will appear with Christ. That propels us to live each day to God's glory because we know that one day we will be with Christ forever. And sin won't be there to ruin everything. Thank the Lord. Because of another gospel truth. Next slide says because of this gospel truth. Because of the fact that. We are raised with Christ. Because of the fact that our life is hidden with Christ. Because we will appear with him, we have the command to do what? Put to death our sinful desires. What are those sinful desires? Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed. This is the New King James Version rendering. And why do we do it? Because these things bring God's wrath. Look at verse 3. 3, 5, and 6 says, put to death because verse 6, these things, the wrath of God is coming. So we put these things to death because they incur God's wrath. And then we have another command. Put away sinful actions. And what are those sinful actions? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. Why? Because we are part of God's new people. 
again, orthodoxy, orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is that, 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 that gospel truth, and the orthopraxy is how we live in light of that truth. Because we're part of God's new people, we put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. So the big idea for today's message and actually for the next three weeks is the antidote or the cure to carnal Christianity is to live in light of and be empowered by the work of Christ. For our principles, we're just going to look at a couple of them today. We're not going to look at all these. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at these. But let's go back to the first verse. It says here, If then, or therefore, you were raised, or since you were raised, with Christ. So, if means since, or therefore, or because. It's giving light to what was previously said, and it's acting as a bridge, that transition word, if, or therefore, or because. So you can just as well say, because you were raised with Christ, or therefore, since you were raised with Christ, or since you were raised with Christ. So the assumption is that you have been raised with Christ as a believer. Every believer has been raised with Christ. So Paul is saying here, the first principle is because we are risen with Christ, seek those things and set our minds on things above. What did you say again in verse 1? If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Now the idea of being raised with Christ was introduced back in Colossians 2 and verse 12. Where Paul said, Bear with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised them from the dead. So Paul used baptism to illustrate the spiritual reality. That we are raised with Christ. <coughs> so seeing that we are raised with Christ. Certain behavior is appropriate to us. That's what this means. So when we think about the word seek. And the word set. This indicates. Where our focus. Should primarily be. That it should be Heavenly. Our focus should be heavenly. Who we seek or what we seek determines what we think about, how we spend our time, and the decisions and choices that we make. If we're seeking things above because of who we are in Christ, it's going to affect our decision making, it's going to affect our choices. It's going to affect how we spend our time. It's going to affect what we think about. 
If we're always obsessing over the things of this world, then guess what? We're not thinking heavily minded. We're not setting our mind on things above. It's not that the world doesn't matter, but we make that our priority. That's when it becomes perverted. And why do we, why should we seek, set our mind on things above? Why should we seek those things which are above? Because that is where Christ dwells. Christ dwells there. And this, when I was reading this and studying for this, it reminded me so much. The first scripture that came to my mind was Matthew 6. Jesus talked about uh, Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus said about treasures. This is what he said. If you want to turn to Matthew 6. This is what Jesus said. Getting at verse 19. This is this is a this is a practical way for us to set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Matthew 6 and 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and with these break in to steal but lay up for yourselves treasures where in heaven such a mind on things above not on things on the earth where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in to steal why for for means therefore or because where your treasure is there will what your heart be also why do we seek things above? Because those things can't be corrupted by the things of this world. Again, that don't mean that we don't care about, we don't steward this world that God has given us. We don't steward our finances and, and all those different things. We don't, we don't try to strive to, to provide now all things. That's not what that means. It means your affections, your desires are all for the things of this world. What does it always say? For the unsaved, for the world, this life is the best that it gets. It doesn't get any better when they die. This is it for the world. Those who are heaping up riches. And I, I was reading an article about, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos, who owns uh, Amazon. You know, he's worth for a hundred billion dollars or whatever. He's, you know, he, he's, he just finished construction on his one hundred and seventy five million dollar house. It's big. And this is him and his uh, girlfriend because he divorced his first wife. You know, the woman he's living with is not even his wife. And she looks, you know, she's an image bearer of God, but she's marred that based on all the mess that she's got done to her face. Because all she has to do is walk around and be a socialite and live off of his money and, and go get Botox uh, injections and fillers put in and, and, and looking like a clown. And get all this enhancements and stuff done to her body. $175 million house. Now, of course, he can do whatever he wants to do with his money. But this is the point. He's setting up treasures in heaven. Jeff Bezos is not a believer. No, he's I'm not uh, heaven. He's setting up his treasures on this earth. Well, guess what? Moth and dust does 
destroy. That house is going to get old one day. He's going to die one day. Not many people can go and buy a $175 million house. You got lots of abandoned mansions. I, 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 I subscribe to a website that has like abandoned mansions. People spend men, tens of millions of dollars, millions of dollars on mansions that when they pass or sometimes they don't even get finished construction with and they just sit abandoned. Why? Because that's what happens when you set your mind on things on this earth. Those things don't ultimately fulfill you as believers. But you have people clamoring for that. These are present active imperatives that Paul is saying here. Seek and set. Those are present active imperatives. And an imperative is a command. It's not a one-time thing. So when he says seek, he's saying constantly seek, always seeking. We have to be constantly seeking the things above. The mindset of the Christian ought to always be to pursuing the things associated with who and where Christ is. And this is in contrast to setting our minds on earthly things, human regulations, legalism. The Colossians to lift their eyes from the temptations of legalism that threatens their spiritual health and instead focus on their inheritance in Christ. That's what Paul is telling the Colossians. That's what he is telling us. That we are to not seek these things that will destroy our spiritual health. Seeking the things of this world will always destroy your spiritual health. Seeking the uh, uh, approval and affirmation of people will hurt you spiritually because you're always going to be disappointed it is so empty people the praise of, of man it is you know sometimes we post things and a lot of people like it and it makes us feel good it does you get all the comments and everything and it, it, it does it feels good but it's not ultimate it's not going to ultimately what are we going to do go back to those posts where we got all those likes and everything and read them again no, everybody just moves on. Seeking the things of this world is empty. I, I was talking to my wife about it this morning that how, you know, we're watching the whole Wendy Williams uh, thing on Lifetime. Some of y'all may not know who, he is, who she is and it doesn't even matter. But she was a, you know, she had a little talk show where she gossiped and all this. She was very popular up in New York and had a little talk show and everything. And, and all of a sudden, and a couple of years ago, her, her health just declined. She has all these millions of dollars, all this adoration, and now she's losing her mind. And she's not a believer. She's cooped up in her uh, multi-million dollar apartment up in New York with all this money, but yet you can't buy good health. You can't purchase it. You can't determine whether you get dementia or uh, I think she has aphasia, which is a, a form of dementia, which Bruce Willis has. Uh, the famous actor, he has aphasia too. And and she's young, she's only in her 60s. And Bruce Willis is only in his 60s. I, I liked him as an actor. But you have all this money. But you cannot, if you're not in Christ, that stuff doesn't matter. 
You can have all the world's fame. You can post all this stuff on social media and all these get all these likes and all these shares. And I told my wife, a lot of people on social media are just looking for affirmation from the world. Don't let our hearts get like that, people. We don't need the affirmation of the world. We don't. We are affirmed in who we are in Christ. That's the only thing that really matters. That's why we, we, we seek those things, but we don't need the empty praises of people because they're empty. They're fleeting. Say the wrong thing on social media that's, that's not approved by everybody and see what happens. Say that men can't be women and women can't be men. And see how many so-called Christians call you unloving and call you bigoted. Say that two men or two women aren't legitimately married. You see how much love you get then when you speak actual gospel truth. So we don't, we, we, we don't seek the things, we don't seek the wisdom of this world. We seek where Christ is. We set our mind on heavenly things, things that are glorious, things that are righteous, things that are holy. That's how we are to live. That is how we are to seek. And we are to do it where Christ is. And where is Christ? Seated at the right hand of God. He is in glory. He is in the seat of authority. And this, uh, this uh, Paul here alludes to Psalm 110 and 1, which says this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Christ is seated right now at the head of authority. He is seated with the scepter of righteousness in his hand. And that is who we ought to seek. We ought to seek the power of Christ. Not the fake power of this world. Christ has kingly authority as the Messiah. And this is strong motivation for us to seek the things of Christ because he rules over all earthly powers. And that's why we seek the things above where Christ is because he is the one who is head. Man is not the head. Man is fallen. Man is sinful. Man is weak. Man is impotent to save. Man cannot save us. Man's praise cannot save us. Man's approval cannot save us. Man is not seated at the right hand of the Father. The God-man Jesus Christ is. That's why we are to seek. Because we're raised with Christ, we seek Christ. We seek where he is. We seek those things that are above. We constantly seek those things. The mindset ought to be always pursuing those things that are associated with Christ. We fix our eyes upon him. Why? Because we were raised with him. Christ is the sovereign. Christ now exercises his authority on the throne. And that's why we seek him. Because he has ultimate authority he's enthroned as the lord of the world over all creation 
And that's the one who we ought to seek, the one who has ultimate authority. We don't seek the government because the government doesn't have ultimate authority. Many people, when problems happen, who do they seek? They seek the government. They got to fix this. They got to legislate this. They got to put this law into effect. Oh, this is going to stop people from shooting each other. Let's put another law on the books when they're not even enforcing the ones that are already on the books. We don't need more laws. We need more hearts changed. And the only way to do that is by seeking where Christ is and setting our minds on things above. Verse 2. Not on things on the earth. Above. That means things that are high. Things that are lofty. Things that are transcendent. As Christians, our minds are fixed on heaven. Don't let anybody shame you either. People are going to shame you when you talk a certain way, when you talk differently. It's People find it strange. I, people that I've, I've been in conversation with, they find it strange that I don't use profanity. Like, what, you don't curse at all? I said, no. One is stupid. I can get my point across about that. I said when I was a school teacher, I did. I was a, I was a very firm but fair school teacher. I had to curse at my students to get them to do what they're supposed to do. I had to curse at them. I had to curse at my children. But when you don't use filthy language, they're like, really? Like it's an anomaly. <laughs> it, it's it's it sticks out when you don't use uh, filthy language. Now it used to be more common that people did, but now it's like. You're, it's like uh, being an NBA player without tattoos. It's like if you don't have tattoos, it's like an anomaly because every NBA player has has tattoos, or every criminal that has the neck tattoo. If you don't have one, it's like okay, that's like the starter pack. If you get a neck tattoo, like beware, right? <laughs> you gonna see that mugshot? I said, do not get a neck tattoo, please. That's like the that's like the mugshot starter kit. <laughs> don't get a face tattoo. Get nothing on your face. No, don't do that. I can't see why people get, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. Why do people get tattoos on their neck? I just, on their face. It's, it's, it's the, there's something spiritual behind that. Kind of going off here, but I can maybe tie it back in. Actually, I can because you're not, you're not thinking Christ-like when you do that. You're marring the image of God by doing that. You, you're marring your body. Nothing wrong with getting tattoos, but on your face you know sometimes it can, it can go too far yeah on your head like a head you know that's that's almost desecrating the body that's that, that, that's not treating your body as 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 made in God's image tattoos themselves are not wrong but don't get one on your face <laughs> don't get a whole head <laughs> I've seen that before the whole face like, no, that's, uh, and they look like a circus show, don't they? But when you don't set your mind on things above, when, you're not, when your life is not hidden with Christ and God, then guess what? You're going to think like that. You're going to have wrong thinking. And you're not going to think the way that uh, we would think as believers. We, which leads to our second principle here. Because of Christ's work, the Christians past, present, and future have been secured. Verse 3, for you died 
and I went over this earlier in the uh, outline, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So Paul gives the reason. Because of Christ's work. Because we were raised with him. Because of his work, we died. You died, Christian. You died. Death means your death to the past. We were united with Christ in his death. The penalty of sin was paid. And we arose with him in new life. That's what that means. When we died with Christ. When we died. Guess what? That sin debt was paid. On the cross. This is the gospel proclamation. And motivation for the Christian life. To seek and to set. Why do we seek those things above? Why do we set. Our mind on things above. Because we died. Paul reminds the Colossians of what Christ has done, which was the past, is doing, which is what he is doing right now, and will do in the future. The gospel, people, encompasses all of our life. Think about this. Before you came to Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were uh, a child of wrath, as uh, Paul said in Ephesians 2. You were separated from God. You were strangers to the covenant. We were bound for hell. When God saved you, all that past is done away with. Because guess what? You're new. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Any man who is in Christ is a new creation. You're a new creature. You're new. You're spiritually brand new. Old things have passed away. All your sins from the past, from the moment that you were converted. All that stuff in the past, guess what? It's done away with. That sin that is erased. And right now, as you're standing in Christ, it is what Christ is doing right now. And always remember, when you come to Christ, all of your sins, past, present, and future. The sins that you're going to commit today at Top of the River when you eat too much <laughs> have already been forgiven. <laughs> the sin that we're going to commit tomorrow when we grumble about having to go to work has already been forgiven. That sin of ingratitude because we had a hard day we're having a hard week. And the sin of ingratitude sets in. Guess what? It's been done away with. That debt has been paid. Already. Before we even do it. That's the work of Christ. That's the reality of what Christ has done for us. Now does that mean we grumble and are ungrateful because of that? No. That motivates us to be more grateful. That motivates us to look at Christ more because our life is hidden with Christ in God. That's our motivation. So again, what is true of our past? That we were raised, that we died. 
verse 1 and 2. We died to our old self, and we have been raised to a new life through Christ. We died to the old man. We died to our old self. Paul talks about this in Romans uh, 6, verse 3. Paul says this. Well, do you not know that as many as us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly, we also should be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin why because we have died with Christ it's not that we're not going to sin but we're not going to be slaves to sin for he who has died has been freed from sin now if we die with Christ we believe that we should also live with him. That's Romans 6 verses 3 through 8. So that's our spiritual reality right now. Our past. That our old self has been raised to a new life through Christ. And therefore we seek those things above. What is true of our present again as Paul says here. That our life is hidden with Christ in God in verse 3. Our present life as Christians has been secured in Christ with God. We are in union with Christ being one with the Father through him. We are one with God through Christ. We are at peace with God because of Christ and through Christ. We have reconciliation. We have been reconciled unto God through Christ. Thank God for the reconciling work of Christ. That because of Christ, he made us right with God. I say it all the time. No one can get right with God. No one can make their peace with God. Except through Christ. No one, a, a person can come to church Every time the door is open, saying, I need, to, I need to get right with God. You can just sit there. You still don't get right with God. You have to go through Christ. When we're in Christ, guess what? We're one with the Father. We're at peace. We're no longer enemies of God. We're no longer under his wrath. Thank God for that. We are with Christ. And therefore, we are with God we have full assurance of our salvation we have full assurance of the spiritual blessings and we have protection from our spiritual enemies because when, when, when we're in when we're one with the father through Christ guess what we have, have all the protections from our spiritual enemies God protects those whom are his. He protects his own. 
we are one spirit with him. Paul says here in First uh, Corinthians 6 and 17, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Second Peter 1 and 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. We're partakers of the divine nature because of Christ. That doesn't make us divine, but we're partakers of the divine nature who is God. It doesn't mean that we're divine because we're not. John 10 and 28, Jesus says this. And I gave them, he's talking about his sheep, those who are his. Jesus says, and I gave them eternal life that they shall never perish, nor shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Why? Because we are one with God through Christ. We will always be kept by God. We never have to worry about losing our salvation. Thank God for that truth. So this serves as a gospel motivation to seek and to set. And then what will be true of our future under this principle? That we will appear with him. We see that in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory our future hope and glory is a good motivation to be heavenly minded we know that it gets better than this because one day Christ will appear and the Colossians in this passage will appear in glory with him they should live ethically in the present as those who are pursuing Christ and the things associated with Christ because we know that Christ will appear and that we will appear in glory with him we live in a righteous and holy way in the present because we know that one day we're going to be with him we don't live like some people do a rebellious life, a life without God, a life rejecting God, a life running away from the salvation to which they were called. And then when they're pushing up daisies, everybody says, rest in peace. Or having gained another angel, which it doesn't, by the way. But anyway, these people have rejected Christ all their life. They rejected the gospel all their life. They've been hostile to the church. They showed up every now and then to Easter, Christmas Eve service. A couple of times a year, they would grace the church with their presence. But they never knew Christ. Their life is not hidden with Christ and God. They don't have a future hope in the resurrection. And then when they decease, people want to use sentiments to try to get them into heaven. It does not work that way, people. Paul says when Christ, who is our life, how is Christ our life? When we have eternal life in Christ through salvation, that's when Christ becomes our life. He who believes 
in me will have eternal life. When we believe in Christ, guess what? He becomes our life. Because he lives eternally, guess what? We will with him. That's the hope of the believer. This prepares us to do what? Seek those things above. To set our minds on things above and not on things on this earth. That is our future that we will appear with him. We pursue Christ and the things that are associated with Christ. I tell you now. On the job that I have sometimes. Um, people may do things uh, unethically. But I'm not. I told my uh, one of my bosses yesterday, uh, Friday, Thursday, I said, uh, I'm not going to do a policy that's not good for the customer just to get a good uh, commission. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what's right for the customer. I've always been that way. We as Christians have to, especially in the light of the way things are now, we have to have biblical integrity because our future's already been secured. What can people do to us? They can't take our eternity away from us. They can't take what we have in Christ away. Yes, they may take our material possessions away. At the end of the day, yes, those things are important, but they're not ultimate. Many people compromise because they're scared of what will happen if they live according to their Christian conviction. What do you think they're going to say to God? What do you think he's going to say to them? Depart from me. They're going to be like the man, you know, when, when, when the, the parable of the talents, where the one that had one talent took it and hid it. Because he said, I knew that you were a hard man and that you take from you that what doesn't belong to you. And what did the master say to that man? Depart from me, you wicked servant. And he took what that man had and gave it to the one who had the five talents and did something with it. The point behind that is you use what God has given you. You don't worry about what people are going to say. Because guess what? You're going to have to give an account for what God has given you stewardship over. And a job is stewardship. And as Christians, because we're raised with Christ, because our lives are hidden with Christ with God in Christ because we have been raised because our past present and future has been secured we set our mind on things above we live with heaven in mind we live with the fact that one day we're going to stand before God and is he going to say to us well done good and faithful or depart from me you worker of iniquity I never knew you until the everlasting fire where there, be we where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth or is he going to say to us enter into the joy of the Lord 
based on the reality of who we are in Christ, it's the first and not the second. As Christians, we have to fight to do this because we have so many distractions. We have to fight to set our minds on heavenly things in how we work, in how we interact with people. We pray and ask God, Lord, help me today. Every day before I, when I get to work, I open my little Bible on my phone and read Colossians 3, 22 through 25, and I pray that prayer before I get out of the car. Every day. Bond servants, obey your masters according to the flesh. Not without service as men please us, but sincerely as from the heart. Work unto God and not unto man. For it is from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. And if anyone does wrong, he will be repaid for what he has done and there is no partiality. I pray that every morning before I go into work because I want to work to God's glory. I want to do what is pleasing to him. Because I know he's the one who's going to reward me. Not my boss. Yes, her name may be on my paycheck, Sheila Curtis State Farm. But she's not who I'm ultimately working for. I'm working for the Lord. He's the one who I'm going to have to, have to give an account to for how I work. He's going to have to give an account for whether I showed integrity or not. Whether I stood up for Christ or not. Whether I was ashamed of the name of Christ or not. We got to give an account for that. What did Christ say? If we deny men, if we deny him before men, he would deny us before the Father. I'm not going to deny Christ. Why? Because we're setting our minds on things above where Christ is. We're setting our affections up there. And may God will us to do that. Amen. And we'll finish this passage over the next two weeks. Let us pray. Father, thank you for such a great landing place for us. Lord, forgive us, all of us at times where we have not set our minds on things above we we have been we we've been distracted by the world by by social media by the news that goes on we have not because we've been raised with Christ we don't always live like it lord forgive us for those times where we haven't lord help us to seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, setting our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Because, Lord, we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. Lord, help us to look to our eternal hope that we have in Christ. That when he appears, we will also be with him in glory. Let that be our motivating factor, Lord. These gospel truths to live out, to seek, and to set. And Lord, for the unbelievers who hear this, excuse me, Lord, they're still under your wrath. They can't seek you because they don't know you. I pray, Father, that you bring sinners to repentance. Convict them. Bring them misery. That they may turn to you, Father, and be saved. And inherit all the blessings that come with being your child. Having that future hope secured. Having that present reality. In their lives. And having that past. Wiped away. Lord bless your word. Thank you for it. 
may you bless us as we prepare to go <coughs> and have our meal together as a church family thank you Lord for this wonderful church family continue to bless us Father and continue to be with us in Christ's name we pray amen amen <coughs>